Um, so it's Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13. Um, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdom of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angel concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him un until an opportune time. Good morning, everybody. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer, can we? Father God, thank you for this, uh, this morning again where we get to dig into your word, where we get to discover new things together, um, where we get to equip ourselves um, as we look at the temptations of Jesus. And so, God, I ask that you prepare our hearts to hear from your word. I pray um, that we'd be encouraged um, and just better equipped to, be, um, to do as you did, Father, in the face of temptation, to be able to resist and to glorify you um, and bring you glory. So thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be here again. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Rich Hendrickson. Um, we just moved here in the end of May. I would like to highlight that I have very much enjoyed the weather here in England thus far. <laughs> we weren't really, we were prepared for the opposite. We were here, rain, rain, and more rain. And just so you guys know, thus far, you guys are doing really well. So it's been a warm welcome as far as the temperature goes. Um, so we're going through Luke. We're in Luke chapter 4. Um, and we're going to call today Strategies and Defenses. Um, Luke chapter 4 is verses 1 through 13, the passage that we just heard this morning. Um, but I want to look at Luke's theme. So Luke is um, writing here. Um, what was his theme? Because as we're going through the book of Luke, we just kind of want to remember what is Luke's main theme. And Jesus is the Messiah is one of the first things. His life is kind of what we're highlighting here in this passage. Death and resurrection make salvation available to all people. And so as we go through the passage today, um, we're going to be highlighting how his life, how his perfect life has made salvation available to all of us. So let's look through Luke's lens, what he wanted us to see, some of his themes as we're digging through these passages today. Um, so um, we're going to break this morning uh, into two different parts. We're going to go with four strategies 
Um, four strategies of Satan in the temptations, and we're going to look at three defenses of Jesus in his victory over the temptations. We know that this ends victoriously. Spoiler, sorry, but it's good news for us. Um, and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the enemy's approach. Um, why is this even helpful? Why is it helpful to know the enemy's approach? It's good to be aware of their strategies. Are there any people that have played Risk ever, right? So in the game of Risk, it's, there's these tiny little armies that you can build up, and there's different countries that can attack you from other opposite players. And when you know that someone has to come through a certain country to attack you, you can put all your defenses in one place because this is the direction they're coming from. You know where they're coming from. And so when we're looking at the strategies of the enemy here, one of the purposes, hey, we can get prepared. We can build up some defenses. So that's the significance of learning uh, Satan's strategies. Um, there's four things that we're going to look at. First thing we're going to look at um, is that Satan challenges Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Right? The devil said to him, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So the first strategy is he was attacking Jesus' identity. And so what does this mean for us? We know that he can also attack our identity, right? He can challenge our identity and ask us questions like, are you really loved? Are you really a child of God? Are you really his creation? Or are you just part of the chain of evolution? These are little seeds that um, Satan can, uh, can sow in, and he can make us question our identity in Christ. And when he can cause us to question our identity, then he can start shaping us the way he wants to. Then he can start shaping his own identity. Um, I took a Clay's class in high school, um, and we did different sculptures, and we did different busts, and all kinds of different things. Um, and this was, um, this was vase day. We're going to make a vase. And vases are pretty difficult because it usually requires a lot of clay. And so we get it on this, um, on this wheel, and it's spinning, and the centrifugal force is pulling things to the outside. And so it's really touch and go. And so I'm beginning, and, I, and, and I'm making the bowl, and making sure the sides are thick. I'm starting to, to bring up the sides of this vase. Today is vase day in Clay's class, so I'm supposed to be making a vase. And at some point, the force of the wheel was too great, and the walls were too thin of my vase, and it collapsed, and it made this very awkward shape. And so I took that opportunity to challenge the vase's identity. I said, are you really a vase? And we had a little conversation, the vase and I, which didn't look like a vase quite anymore. And I and the vase had this conversation, and we decided that he was now modern art. <laughs> was not a vase, just modern art. And so through discussion and through creating some doubt in the vase of what the vase was supposed to be, the vase agreed with me and said, yes, rich, modern art. I will go with that. And so... Satan is doing the same thing. He's going to start questioning our identity and just putting those questions in there. Well, really? Is that who you are? Is that who God says you are? And all of a sudden, 
we start questioning and we start trying to come up with, well, then what am I? Or what role do I have? Or what purpose do I serve? So one of Satan's tasks comes through challenging our identity. Second part, he will go for um, our weak point, turn these stones into bread. Um, I've never not gone without food for 40 days. But I can imagine that a loaf of bread sitting in front of me or the possibility to have one would be a really, really extreme temptation. I'm tempted after four hours of not eating. <laughs> someone else, you want a slice of warm baked bread? Yes, yes, without a doubt. So Satan goes in for our, and goes at us when we're weak or our weak points. Um, a lion is never going to go for the horns of a water buffalo. A lion's not going to attack an animal from its biggest defense mechanism. It's going to go from the back. Or the, the lion's never going to attack the largest elephant in the herd, right? He's going to go for one that's injured or that's weak or that's smaller than the others. We have to admit we all have weaknesses. Right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I fall into the all part. That means I have weaknesses. And Satan is aware of those weaknesses. And so I think some of our weaknesses can be different amongst, the, amongst each other. Um, some, it might be um, image related. Some, it could be weakness as far as finances are related or identity, which we just talked about, or relationships or sexual desires or anger issues or past hurts traumas, uh, they could be food issues, it could be pride, it could be low self-esteem. If it's weak or it hurts, you can anticipate that there's going to be attacks there. You can anticipate that this is going to be a direction that Satan is going to come at us from. Is that scary? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the good news is that we can anticipate that, right? Like the game of risk we talked about. We can start building up defenses, which we're going to get to a little bit later. We can build up defenses in those weak areas, those areas in our lives that hurts so that's, that doesn't become a point that Satan can continually, continually attack us on. Another um, one of his strategies, this is the third of the fourth, Satan uses scripture in his temptation, but in like forms of half-truths. Is it strange to think that Satan knows Scripture? But what a powerful tool Scripture can be when it's twisted or when it's taken out of context. It can be so convincing when someone come up to you and say, oh, this is what the Bible says. Well, if it's in, the, if it's in there, it must be true. It is true, but we have to be looking at the entire context of the situation, which is really important for us when we, when we are discovering who God is and we're spending time in his word. Context is really key. And so Satan is using scripture, but he's taking it out of context and he's putting it in situations to be like, look, here's some scripture. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you if you throw yourself off of this cliff. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Um, are, are, are my kids in here this morning? No, they're all upstairs. Great. So um, 
one of the things that, they're actually getting better at this, but they would ask us questions of things they wanted to do when Rachel and I would be in a meeting or on a phone or in a Zoom call. They love asking, hey, can, can we play Nintendo? And we're like in the middle, can we watch a movie? Can we do this or that? And, and the answer becomes, uh, <laughs> the head kind of nods in all directions, and the hand goes, leave, which they interpret as, go do what you just asked to do, right? And so later on, after the meeting's over, we're like, what are you doing? Well, you said we could go watch a movie. And we're like, no, we didn't. And the timing was just so that they're just, uh, and I don't know how often they actually did it on purpose. Maybe we can talk about that later. But I was convinced that it was very strategic. Like, meeting, let's go ask him whatever we want, right? And so they took something that was happening a bit out of context to help fit what they wanted, what, what suited their specific needs. I think Satan is able to do this too. Take situations, take scripture, take verses and go, eh, what about this? And take God's own words and just twist them a, a, enough to convince us, right? Adam and Eve, he takes some of God word, God's words and said, well, is that really what it means? God said that, Will you, are you really going to die if you eat of this, the fruit of this tree? Like, really? That can't be what he meant. And so this is something that we need to be aware of as we look at and understand Satan's attacks. And then the fourth area that we're going to look at is Satan offers empty promises. He says, to you I will give you this, uh, this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, this will all be yours. Does Jesus need Satan to offer him all authority and glory? Not at all. But at the same time, does Satan need a foundation? Does he have to back up the things he says? No, because he's a liar. There's, all he has to do is convince, but he doesn't have to back it up. That's one of the things, you know, you, you do it. Manu, our, our son, he learned this really quickly. Um, as we're playing games and he wants to get people's attention, he started t telling his brothers and sisters if they, he wanted them to come near him, he'd go, chocolate. He could, his vocabulary was like 150 words, but he knew chocolate, and he knew how to use it in a way to say, chocolate, and then people come, but there's no chocolate. But he got what he wanted. That was his ultimate goal. I don't have anything to back it up. Like, where's it? I don't know. But that wasn't the point. That wasn't the purpose. Saying just wanted to offer something that he wasn't, he wasn't able to give and that Jesus didn't need his authority to take, but it was an empty promise. So think of the different areas of temptation um, in your own life, or if you want the life of someone else. Well, maybe, no, maybe we'll keep it for ourselves. Think of areas of temptation in your own life. And think of that temptation and think, if I do this, then I will feel dot, dot, dot. If I get that, then I will be dot, dot, dot. So just process that a little bit. 
Think of the different areas in your life and you're like, oh, what am I striving for? What's tempting for me? If the phrase doesn't end with be closer to God, it should be examined. If I get this, then I will be closer to God. Okay. If close, be closer to God doesn't finish that statement, well, then it, it needs to be looked at a little bit farther. Um, it sounds, it's a bit, it's a simplified filter, right? I understand this isn't going to work for each and every scenario. Um, but if you take on like something like dating, if I date so-and-so, dot, 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 will that bring me closer to God? Is there an element that is going to encourage a closeness with the Father? Um, maybe if I'm making more money, dot, dot, dot. Maybe if I eat this cookie, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> if I spend more time in the Word, will it bring me closer to God? If I spend more time serving others, if I got that job, <laughs> Could very well be. Or if I quit this job, dot, dot, dot. Some of these questions could go either way. There are things that we can do that might not necessarily bring us closer to God. I understand that. I don't think a cookie is going to separate me from God. But I will say but I think when we ask the question, it will be evident if that something is going to separate us. It's going to, right? I think that can be, I think that can be evident. So try it out over the next few weeks. Use it as an initial filter. This isn't end-all, be-all. It's just an initial filter to be like, all right, if I do this, this situation, this temptation, whatever it may be, will it bring me closer to the Father? And then... We'll look at we'll look at some other things that we can do. Um, what is Satan's? What yeah? So what Satan's? Um, what was his goal? What was his main objective in this process? He wanted Jesus to sin because if Jesus had stumbled in those situations, that would eliminated and voided the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross later on in his life. One slip up here means we have now missed out on the opportunity to enter into relationship with God. There were lies designed to tempt Jesus in a way that presented another way to save the world, to rule, but they were empty lies. But Satan was looking at the long game, right? He was looking, or 2,000 plus years after this, he was looking at our souls and saying, I'm going to tempt him with this now with a long-term goal of saying souls will no longer, they cannot belong to God because right here, right now is my opportunity to have Jesus stumble and try and find another way and fall into sin. One sin, and it's an offense against God. One offense would have mean that he would have missed the mark and his sacrifice would have been made in vain. But a perfect life, as Jesus did live, freely given on a cross in our place, 
means that you and I have an opportunity to receive eternal life, to enter into a relationship with God for all eternity. He didn't sin. There's verses that back this up. 1 Peter 2, verse 22, he says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. In 1 John 3, 5, it says, You know that he appeared to take, he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He had never sinned, and he took our sin upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. So because he did not sin, John 14, 6 says, Jesus could, he could say that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Because Jesus is the one and only one who never sinned. And so when he gave himself up for us, that counted. And that check was able to be cleared. Let's look at some defenses. What are three things that Jesus did to combat these temptations? One, Jesus was prepared. The word of God was already on the tip of his tongue. And he did not wait until he was in the middle of the temptation to start pulling out scrolls and looking at scriptures and saying, all right, this is the temptation. What can I do? What truth can I bring here to combat the situation? He was already worded up, right? He was prepared. He spent time with his father daily. One of the examples that we use is, is the idea of a solar, solar light, right? In the daytime, you put it outside to charge it so that at night, when you need it, it's charged up and ready to go. So Jesus was prepared. He, he used scripture. So Jesus goes back, um, when he's using scripture in defense of the things that Satan, the lies that Satan was telling him, he uses Deuteronomy 6 through 8. These are some of the, the, verses, the chapters that he's using. So, what, and these chapters that Jesus refers back to, is when God's people were in the desert. Interesting. This is the same place. Jesus was also in the desert during these temptations, so it's interesting that he goes back to these verses. So, like he was at the moment, the scripture that Jesus used falls right before the people are going into the promised land. In Deuteronomy verse 8, God is trying to prepare the people and saying, hey, you're ready to go into the promised land. Here we go. And in those chapters, God's giving his people a warning. And God says this, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. So this is a land of plenty with absolutely everything that they needed. Not just things they needed to survive, but it was things to help them feel comfortable. It was luxurious. And God said, when you've eaten and been satisfied, praise the Lord your God. Worship him. In the times of plenty, worship, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, right? He wants continual, he wants us continually coming to him. It's not things are good, and so now we can put God to this side. And then when things get rough, and now we're in the middle of temptation, now we call God back quick and say, Come on, now I need you. No, God's saying, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. 
failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. God's saying, don't forget when things are good and the sun is shining and it's, things are peaceful and it's easy street, continue to get engaged with God because this is going to be charging us up like solar power so that way when the temptations comes, we can be prepared. So what do the scriptures do for us? Why do we want scriptures? Why do we want scriptures right on the tip of our tongues so that we can have and available to our needs? It's, an, it's not an automatic get out of temptation free card. All right? I just want to, in the middle of temptation, spitting out a verse does not mean the temptation disappears, right? But it's going to help bring light into the situation and help us make the right decision. When we surround ourselves with lies, the evidence that they're not true starts to fade. Does that make sense? When we just continually surround ourselves with lies, the evidence that they're not true starts to fade. And that's when sin or missing the mark kind of becomes the, well, I guess it's not really that bad. It's not that bad. Things that I used to watch on TV when I was a kid, the things that are on TV today would have never been able to be shown at that time. There's just been this gradual introduction to things that are just more and more perverted. Now, had they shown something like that on TV back in the 80s, it's a while ago, everyone would have been shocked. What is that? How can there would have been telephone calls to, to, the, uh, to the television company saying, why was this on TV? This is not allowed. You can't do that. But today, some of the things that we see don't bother us anymore. They just kind of skip over and we're like, oh, it's not that bad because we have been continually sitting in the live saying, well, that's okay. And we're getting, you get used to it. You get used to it. And so what does scripture do? It brings a hard contrast to those situations. It brings a hard light to those lies that we can go, oh yeah, this is, this is now very obvious. This is now very obvious. We've, um, we're having this wasp saga in our home right now. Um, some of you have heard about it, but it started out, we had like three or four wasps like against the window in our home. So we took out a fly swatter and we killed them, three or four, not a big deal. And it's a chance to show everyone in the house that I'm very manly. So I take those opportunities. Next day, three or four. All right, they're gone. Next day, five, six. Day after that, seven and eight. And I started with three or four, so seven, eight isn't really that many more. And it's still pretty quick. We just leave the fly swatter against the window, and they're just easy to kill. The numbers kept growing, and we're about 30 a day. There's about 30 wasps a day that at some point I said to myself, well, this is not good. But I should have said that in the very beginning, like, how are these wasps getting in the house? There's clearly a problem. But you know what? I said, no, it's okay. I can sit with this. I can, I can work this out little by little. And the problem grew, 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 grew. Now, had someone told me in the very beginning, Rich, is it okay to have 30 wasps flying around in your living room each and every day? Is that okay? I would have said, absolutely not. No, thank you. And I probably would have dealt with it differently and called the anti- Wasp people, I don't know, <laughs> a lot sooner, right? Um, but I didn't, 
because somehow I sat in it and I was like, oh, that's okay. Oh, that's okay too. And all of a sudden, I'm in the, sitting in a place where I'm like, oh, this is a very poor situation. This is not good. So the contrast with truth would have made it obvious that this is a bad situation. And truth is evident when the word of God is brought into the light. So we want to be bringing God's truth into these situations and these temptations and these questions and these doubts about our identity, right? We want to bring God's word to it and say, okay, what's the contrast? And that's going to help us decipher, all right, how we can say no, how we can say yes in situations. So let's deal with these temptations without hesitation and bring us Bring this truth, bring God's word to the table ASAP. There's no sense in waiting. And this is a third strategy, priorities. I was just talking to Toby earlier on. Um, he gave me a cup of coffee, and he said, with, along with Micah, they're talking about how great revolutionary ideas happen around a cup of coffee or caffeine throughout history, I guess. I don't know. I don't have any historical backing. I just heard this from two mates that I appreciate very much. But anyway, so I have this idea, and, then, and I thought, well, what's revolutionary today? I think it's this part right here, as far as the temptations of Jesus and what we typically think of. And so I asked a few people, I said, when you think of the temptations of Jesus, what does that tell you about Jesus? It means that he is, I heard he is strong, that he, he's maximum level temptation, he had it, he took it on, um, that he was well equipped, he had scripture, and so Jesus was well equipped. I feel like this is an area that we sometimes skip over. So sometimes revolutionary ideas are obvious ones that we just miss. So I'm not saying that this is revolutionary in the sense of, I hope this is revolutionary in the sense that we think, of course, of course this is one of the defenses and strategies of Jesus. I really like this one. So when Jesus was tempted, he had you and I in mind in the middle of those temptations. He had you and I in mind. And so as Jesus was presented with these temptations, he said, no, I love rich too much that I will deny myself now of these temptations so that rich can have an opportunity to be reunited with my father. I love fill in the blank, put your name right in there. I love so-and-so so much that I will deny myself now so that they may live. And he desired so much to restore this broken relationship that humanity had with the Father that he was able to resist. Jesus' love for you and I trumped anything that Satan had to offer because his purpose was to restore us to the Father. So anything Satan was throwing his way, no, 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 I love you so much. I love you too much to have this be a reason to throw everything away. And it boils down to the priorities when it comes to saying no to temptations. Temptations give us the opportunity to clearly display our priorities. Temptations give us the opportunity to clearly display our priorities priorities. For Jesus, it was us. We were his priority. No earthly rule, 
not that he would eat because he was hungry, not to prove to Satan his identity, that he was truly the son of God. It was you and it was me. And so as we fight temptations, priorities in our life are going to help dictate the outcome or greatly influence the outcome. I have to drop a few pounds. But if you put a freshly baked cookie in front of me where the chocolate is just barely melted and you break that cookie in half and you can see the chocolate sticking between the two broken pieces, I'm going to eat it. When I lift up the possibility of dropping a couple of pounds or enjoying that cookie, it smells, I can literally, I can smell it right now. I am going to take the cookie. So then you can say, I know what Rich's priorities are, and I can see that he's clearly placed a cookie above dropping a few pounds. If a doctor came up to me and said, Rich, if you don't stop eating cookies, you're going to lose your vision. I think, I could, I think I'd say no in that case. I think I'd say no to the cookie. Thank you very much. I'll keep my vision. And so then you're like, okay, we all know that Rich values his vision above the cookie. Barely. But it's, cookies are so tempting and they're terrible for me. So and if we think about the kids and the marshmallows, right? We're thinking about, we saw the, the video just beforehand. One of those kids, the, I think it was the first boy, his priority was, I'm going to get two. And he struggled with it, and it didn't remove the temptation, but his priority helped him go in the direction to say, I'm going to act out in a way that I'm going to get a second marshmallow, and I'm going to eat the two of them at the exact same time. That was his priority. That was his plan. Whether you also had the other girl who clearly just wanted the immediate gratification, and the lady hadn't even left the room yet, and she was already chewing on that marshmallow, right? You could see what her priority is. She's like, no, I want this, and I want it now. And so priorities, when it comes to temptation, to our life choices as a whole, are greatly going to influence how we make our decisions. Um, A dad of a good friend of mine said, when it comes to being faithful to your wife, if you're tempted... Ask yourself this question. Are you willing to give her up and your kids for a brief moment of physical pleasure? If as a married man, you are tempted, is it worth, where are your priorities? Give yourself the opportunity to line up the priorities and go, what is it? Because sometimes what we fail to do is even process our priorities and then you don't realize it till later on. So give yourself the opportunity to put those priorities in place, just as Jesus did as he was going through this. He was thinking of us. He was thinking about our salvation. So it's not simply about having the willpower to say no to temptation, but to have clear priorities. And the question there is, is it your relationship with God? As believers, is our relationship with the Father our top priority? And if that is the case, in the face of temptation and and decisions that we're making through life, it's going to greatly help us. Be prepared by um, engaging with God on a regular basis. So even when we're in the promised land, right? We're going to be ready. When we've been in a desert season, we're going to be ready. 
So Satan's challenges, he challenges us how, right? He challenges our identity. He hits our weak points. He uses half-truths and empty promises. Let's keep that in mind, because then we know where he's coming from. Jesus, what did he do? He used scripture, he was prepared, and he knew what his priorities were. So we're aware of Satan's strategies. We know where he's coming from. The question is, are we worded up? Are we spending time in the word? Are we committing verses to memory? Are we prepared? Have we been spending time with the Father on a regular basis? And are our priorities in place? Just as a reminder, Christ, we were his priority. What a good reminder to end on. What a good reminder to know that we were so, so, so loved by Jesus, that there was not a temptation throughout the 33 years of his life that could cause him to put that on a sacrificial table and say, that temptation is too great to save you, to save me. His denial of these temptations was absolutely an act of love. Maybe that's revolutionary for you today. Maybe it's obvious now. But yeah, let's praise God for that. I'm going to invite Bex up. Um, we're going to spend some time, lead a time of prayer together.